Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up Rockabilly track. Now searching for lost evil tunes. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're going to be breaking down episode four of Moon Knight, and we have a film review of Fantastic Beasts, The Secret of Dumbledore. And we're talking Tony Khan's huge announcement for AEW. All right, so before we move on, just a quick reminder, we've got an ongoing giveaway happening. Uh, For the next couple of weeks, you're going to have an opportunity to win a Blu-ray copy of Spider-Man No Way Home. All you have to do is DM us on your favorite social media platform at Amazing Nerd Show and send us a screenshot of you subscribing to us over at Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star review. The giveaway will run to May 14th when we'll announce the winner, which will be chosen at random, of course. This is going to be a podcast-only giveaway, meaning we are rewarding actual listeners to the show and not plugging it on social media. If you have already subscribed and left a review, no worries. Just go ahead and leave another five-star review because that still helps the show and you deserve a chance to win also. So again, if you'd like to win a copy of Spider-Man No Way Home on Blu-ray, make sure to leave us a five-star review and hit the plus button or subscription button on Apple Podcasts. It doesn't cost a dime to you and you get entered into our contest. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Alright, up first we got some bad news unfortunately. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse has been delayed. Looks like we're seeing more delays coming this year as one of my more anticipated films, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1 will be moving from its October 7th release to June 2nd of 2023, which of course will be pushing back the release of Part 2 to like March 29th of 2024. And while dropping this news before their upcoming event at CinemaCon, they also announced the release date for the Madam Web Spider-Man spinoff to be coming just a month after Across the Spider-Verse on July 7th. And while there's no information on why the film has been pushed back just yet, there might be some more coming out with, you know, their press conference at CinemaCon. Yeah, I mean, this was definitely one of my more anticipated films too. Um, as long as the delay is in the name of, you know, making the film better and getting the animation right, it is what it is. I'd rather have them put out like a finished product than rushing something out. Yeah, exactly. Take your time if you need it. Uh, but I do want to know what's been going on with their studio and stuff like that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to hear what they have to say, because I can't imagine what else could be the cause of the delay. I guess it could still be pandemic related. Um, just maybe people having to be entered into protocol or something like that um but you know or maybe something with like just the release schedule maybe they felt like this wasn't the right weekend for them you know i don't know what's coming out in october but they maybe they thought it would perform better you know in the summer um i guess but it's so long after yeah. october <laughs> yeah it does suck i guess well by okay so it's like a maybe like a six month delay really yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah, so I guess, I don't know. There's a lot of movies coming out this this year, so we'll survive, but you're right, it does still suck. <laughs> well, up next, more awful news. Uh, the Flash's Ezra Miller has been arrested again in Hawaii. 
Here's another quick update on the Flash's Ezra Miller, as he has now been arrested in, uh, I believe, Hilo, Hawaii, for disorderly conduct and harassment. After the previous charges against him were dropped, it seems Ezra threw a chair at a woman's head. With Warner Media trying to make some big overhaul over at DC, the continued assault charges on Ezra can't be looking too good for the future of the Flash films, but more importantly, Clearly Ezra needs some help here, and hopefully his team and family can quickly provide some before anyone else gets hurt. Yeah, I mean, there's not really much more to be said here. Um, we pretty much talked about this. Was it last episode? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, hopefully he just gets the help that he needs. So next, after Netflix suffers a substantial subscriber loss this past quarter, there are now plans in place for them to launch a lower cost ad supported streaming plan. What once was considered the home of streaming content has lately saw a massive subscriber drop as Netflix lost over 200,000 subscribers as reported in their Q1 earnings. And in the wake of that news, it seems advertisements may be on the way to the platform as a way to kind of make up for these recent major losses. Netflix currently is planning on smaller subscription plan with addition of ads, similar to you know how platforms like Hulu operate. Reed Hastings, the company co-chief, stated, "Those that have you know followed Netflix know that I've been against the complexity of advertising and a big fan of the simplicity of subscription. But as much as I am a fan of that, I'm a bigger fan of consumer choice and allowing consumers who would like to have a lower price and are advertising tolerant." get what they want which makes a lot of sense it's funny just the other day i was telling my wife that i feel like i barely watch netflix anymore yeah, um exactly. so apparently i'm not alone uh but i think part of it too is like a lot of the shows that i enjoyed on the service you know have been delayed because of the pandemic like you know stranger things mm. and um umbrella academy so i mean that might be part of it but also over the last like couple years, I've been watching a lot more things on like Amazon Prime and you know HBO Max. You know, I honestly probably watch HBO Max more now than I watch uh, Netflix, which compared to just a couple years ago, I mean, I was Netflix only pretty much. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there has been a rise in the amount of like streaming services. And I, I'd even mentioned Disney Plus. So, I mean, they have just a lot more competition nowadays. I mean, we we're talking off mic. I don't even know how much I fucking pay for Netflix. I know, <laughs> I know that they just like, you know, hiked their prices a little bit ago. Honestly, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are kind of in the same boat as I am and just out of like, you know, streaming exhaustion, you know, chose to kind of cut it um, because there's so much like popular content now out on other streaming services. So um, yeah. I, I'm sure I'm paying for streaming services. I don't even like know about at this point. <laughs> I've like subscribed to so many. Well, when's the last time you were on like CBS? Oh my God. Oh, oh, Paramount, Paramount Plus, <laughs> yeah, Paramount. right? Yeah, <laughs> I watched Picard and that's pretty much it. And there was like a year delay in between uh, seasons. So uh -huh. I mean, before like season two came out, it was probably, you know, the first season of Picard. So <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Oh, yeah. Besides like the occasional random horror film or the, the trash reality TV that I watch on Netflix, uh, 
I don't know. I, I couldn't think of the last thing I watched on there that wasn't like beyond Stranger Things the last time that was on the fucking platform. And I'm I'm worried like what happens after season five? <laughs> like, do they have anything like big in production right now to keep them going other than like I think they have what Transformers and shit. Actually, now shit. that I think of it, I, I did watch Midnight Mass on Netflix and, I, and we did watch Squid Game. So but it's definitely not like how I used to watch Netflix just a couple of years ago where like every weekend I was popping on Netflix and seeing what was on, you know, mm -hmm. now it's like, you know, it's for a show that already has buzz or for a show that I know that we're going to cover, you know, and that's yeah. pretty much it. Like it's not my go-to like streaming service. Whereas like Disney plus I'm watching every week, at least a couple of times. And that might also be because of the way, you know, their release format is where they're doing weekly episodic like shows where Netflix, it's like you binge it and over the weekend and then you're done with it. And then I basically don't turn on the app until like the next big show comes out. So, but hey, I mean, competition makes everyone up their games. So I'm sure they'll have a big like resurgence over the next couple of years. Lastly, we got some horror news. Lionsgate reportedly looking to relaunch the Blair Witch franchise. A little bit of horror news for this week as a report from Jeff Snyder from The Angler came out claiming Lionsgate looking to reboot the Blair Witch Project franchise. Co-creator Daniel Myrick recently spoke with Bloody Disgusting about Lionsgate having interest in working with the original creators, especially after, you know, some of those sequels that came out, you know, failed to capture the magic of the original without their involvement. Yeah, I was really excited for the Adam Wingard uh, film in 2016. Um, but unfortunately, I was quite disappointed afterwards. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he's a talented director. I mean, he did Your Next, and he just recently directed the uh, God Godzilla vs. Kong movie. So, but okay. it just felt like he didn't really bring that much new to the table, unfortunately. I mean, I could totally see why the studio would be interested in bringing back the franchise since they're, you know, relatively cheap films to make. And if they could do something to freshen up the story a bit, I see why not. Um, look at the success of like Paranormal Activity and like how many like sequels they were able to squeeze out of that like original film. Um, Blair Witch really hasn't had that. You know, it was like the first film and then you had what just it's part two and then I believe just the remake, the, the 2016 film. Now I will admit um, Blair Witch 2 is kind of a guilty pleasure for me. I do kind of enjoy that film. Um, but I mean that that's not based on quality at all. <laughs> it's just a, it's just a fun movie. Um, it reminds me a lot of like a late '80s kind of like you know Friday night rental, um, you know cheesy but like in a good way. But yeah, no, they really haven't been able to like recapture the magic from the original. So they just need to find someone who has the right idea to kind of like launch you know a franchise if that's what they're looking to do. Um, but I mean, or they could just you know get some original ideas and you know maybe you know give us some original like horror films so damon those don't sell <laughs> you know right <laughs> i mean i could see them do that like typical thing like after a franchise is on it's like you know dying legs where they you know tell like the origin story of the blair witch you know and do kind of like a period piece um it could be interesting but I don't know. I don't know what direction they're going to go with this because you can't just do a remake of the original because I just don't foresee them recapturing that magic after we've had just a slew of, you know, 
found footage films over, you know, the past two decades. But all right, we also got a trailer this week for Thor Love and Thunder. These hands were once used for battle. Now they're but humble tools for peace. I need to figure out exactly who I am. All right, Christian. So after months of wondering where the hell is the Thor Love and Thunder trailer, it finally dropped this week. And hey, look at that. For once, it's a bona fide teaser trailer coming in under two minutes, uh, which honestly, I loved. Uh, and I'm totally fine with this being all that they give us until the film comes out. I know that's not going to be the case whatsoever. With only a couple months left until the film comes out, who knows, right? Maybe they surprise us. I think there'll be at least one more, like, big trailer. And then... Yeah, and th this stops. was... This was totally just a montage mm -hmm. trailer, too. So I'm sure that there's going to be some kind of, like, story-based trailer that's going to hit, you know, probably, I'm guessing, with, like, the Doctor Strange, you know, film. Mm, yes. I could see that happening, right? Uh, but anyway, so since this is a teaser trailer, we're not going to get too granular with the breakdown. But let's go ahead and dive into it. So we start off with a nice visual of Thor throughout the years as we watch him run through a forest and morph into the most current version of the Thunder God. Uh, we also hear the beautiful sound of the greatest rock ballad of all time, obviously Guns N' Roses, Sweet Child of Mine, Fight Me. Uh, I'm really hoping this is a signal that the film is gonna have this like epic soundtrack. I mean, the film is named Love and Thunder. So fingers crossed, Taika delivers. I'm guessing with like the Guardians also being involved, they'll definitely try to play on their music aspects as well, at least during that portion. No, I agree. And if you think about Ragnarok had a really good soundtrack yes. also. So, but anyway, here we meet up with the Thor who looks like he wants to lay down his hammer and stop all the super heroics. Uh, we even see him plant Stormbreaker into the ground and walk away. Next, we see Thor getting back into shape, doing some CrossFit God style with some big ass chains attached to a skeleton of a giant creature. Uh, this most likely is Thor working off the pounds he gained during Endgame since he looks a little chunkier mm. here. Um, some think that the skeleton might be Searcher, uh, but the last time we saw him, he was bringing Ragnarok and facing off with Hela, so maybe that fight was to the death? But in my headcanon, it's still going on. Because otherwise, I would think that Thor would cross paths with one of them at some point. I guess, I, I don't know what would happen, especially because after that is the snap. You know, I don't know how much that affected their fight or anything like that. I mean, everything did get reset. Is that battle supposed to be till the end of time? I mean, yeah, that's pretty much what I got out of the end of the movie, that they triggered Ragnarok basically to keep Hela's hands full, like, you know, for eternity or so. Makes sense. I, I just thought he, I thought the beast, I forgot what it's called, was just going to kill Searcher. Searcher. Okay. I thought that was just going to kill her in the end because Ragnarok destroys all of Asgard. Anyway, moving on. Next, we see Thor with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Thor's all decked out in his Ravager gear. At least that's what the Marvel Legends figure is calling it, uh, which has hit the shelves already. Uh, they are on some planet with blue aliens. Then we see the Guardians running towards a battle as Thor in more of his traditional outfit uh, walking off in the other direction. And the way it's cut, you know, made me believe like, Either he walks away from them, or there's another sequence where he's in the Ravager gear, and it seems like they're kind of kicking him out. I'm wondering <laughs> the moment with Thor walking away from the team as they run off into battle is like his moment of epiphany, 
where he decides that he doesn't want to do this anymore. And he just chooses to, like, just hang out with the, <laughs> the Guardians as they go on adventures. And that's why we see the costume change. Uh, I mean, once it was announced that the Guardians was going to be a part of this film, we both were, like, speculating that it was just going to be kind of a glorified cameo or, like, a montage of sorts at the beginning of the film that kind of like got us caught up with the characters and transitioned Thor like onto his next journey, which I'm definitely getting that vibe from this Absolutely. teaser trailer. Like I'm guessing that all these guardian scenes happen in the very front yes. of the film. Then we get a shot of the Benatar flying away as Korg and Thor look on. Uh, they're both back in their like Ravenger-esque gear on what seems to be Sakara. Then see Thor's longship being pulled by his mythical goats, uh, Tooth Grinder and Tooth Nasher, I believe. Uh, then we look to be on Olympus uh, and we get a brief glimpse of Russell Crowe as Zeus. So I'm guessing that Zeus and the rest of the Greek gods are just gonna be kind of like glorified cannon fodder for uh, Christian Bale's character, Gord the God Butcher in this film. Uh, we know he's the big bad here, who surprisingly enough, we don't even see in the teaser. It would make sense because, you know, he's the God Butcher. We need a God to kill, right? To really show how yeah. bad he is. <laughs> or maybe a whole bunch of them. True. <laughs> then we move to a scene with Thor and Korg looking over the corpse of a large creature of some sort. Apparently this moment is straight from the panels of the Thor comic. And uh, most likely the creature's probably been slaughtered by Gore. Up next, Thor's making out with some blue-haired pirates with a dead kraken in the background. Uh, then we have a moment with Thor in his new armor, uh, which is also out on the shelves as a Marvel Legend figure right now. So if you're a collector, go ahead and check that Damon's out. Damon's already got his uh, pre-orders in. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, <laughs> but while he's in the new armor, he is calling or at least summoning the Bifrost, it seems like, with Stormbreaker. Then we take a trip over to New Asgard, which looks like has become some kind of like tourist attraction since we see like tour bus like you know heading towards the city it seems like then we get a shot of valkyrie looking annoyed during some kind of council meeting you went from being a valkyrie you know badass to then having to do diplomacy it's probably a very boring job <laughs> no absolutely i'm sure she's missing the old days i could really see in this film like part of her arc being her struggle with like wearing the crown and being the new king of Asgard. Mm -hmm. And you know, if she really wants that responsibility or if she feels like she belongs on the battlefield. We then move on to a moment between Thor and the guardians, which looks like them parting ways. It sounds like Star-Lord's giving Thor some advice about looking into your loved one's eyes when maybe you're lost, I'm guessing, uh, or something. I don't know, the, the line gets kind of cut off, but then we see Thor trying to stare into Peter's eyes, <laughs> which was a fantastic moment. And I'm guessing sparked probably millions of artists creating some like steamy fan fiction as we speak, right? <laughs> <laughs> But lastly, we see some kind of battle happening on what looks to be Earth, um, you know, just from all the abandoned cars around. Uh, possibly, maybe this is New Asgard, but that's just a guess. Here we watch a fur-caped Odin son uh, meet the new Thor in town, which is none other than Jane Foster, who's rocking a very comic book accurate costume with Milner somehow pieced together again. Uh, the story of Jane becoming Thor is pretty fucking epic in the comics, so I'm hoping that they can do it justice here in the film. Yeah, she's a fun character, and it would be interesting to even get her own film, but I don't know, like, where this is going to go, how accurate they're going to make it. Like, she, you know, spoilers, have cancer. 
You know, like how far are they gonna go into her actual comic book lore? No, definitely. I mean, Jane's story in the comics is pretty emotional, so I'm curious to see how Taika handles juggling those two different kind of tones uh, that I'm expecting to get in this film. Uh, but Taika's an extremely talented artist, so I'm sure he can pull it off. But yeah, all in all, I thought this teaser was fantastic. Um, I'm glad that it didn't show us too much and getting me really excited for when this film drops in July. That's right. Thor Love and Thunder will be out July 8th. All right, Christian, it's that time again. Let's break down episode four of Moon Knight. Warning, spoiler alert. Major spoilers for Moon Knight ahead. You have been warned. I hope you don't mind, but I, I took the liberty of borrowing the film you brought. It was fun to see that my old VHS player still worked. Yeah. The plot makes a real meal out of a lunar god. And didn't you say that you worked for one? What do you make out of that similarity? I mean, given the production value of that film, I can't imagine that too many other people have seen it. Kicking off this week's episode, we see the avatar for Osiris carrying the statue of Khonshu created in the last week's episode to imprison him. Khonshu seems to be placed on a wall with several other gods that have been imprisoned before him. Yeah, this was quite the collection. Uh, I'm wondering if these gods will eventually come into play somehow in the series. It also helps explain why there weren't the nine gods at the Inead, like it was explained early in the first episode. I guess, but I mean, they could have just had nine gods. Because <laughs> this True. looked like there was more than just the nine, right? Mm -hmm. So, I, yeah, so I'm wondering if somehow they get unleashed eventually, but I, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Returning to Layla and Steven in the desert, Layla struggles to awaken Steven after moving the stars in the last episode, and on the horizon comes a caravan of mercenaries that begin firing upon them. Protecting Steven and Mark's body, Layla is luckily able to handle the situation by using flares to blow up the mercenaries' truck. This was some MacGyver shit, right? Layla's got some skills. I mean, maybe there's a reason why Khonshu's interested in her. I, oh. I mean, did, how could she know that those bullets were there, though? <laughs> she did! <laughs> I guess. Now with the location of the tomb, the three of them head on out. Along the way, Layla suggests letting Mark take control as they will again be fighting you know, more of Harrow's goons. And while Mark tries to convince Steven that Layla is right, Steven in his need to be honest tells Layla of Mark's agreement to give Steven the body once and for good now that Khonshu is out of their lives. Layla takes offense to this though as Mark was once more you know, simply going to abandon her but agrees that working with Steven may be for the better as he won't try to kind of lone wolf it all i still just can't wrap my head around steven not wanting to give like uh mark the steering wheel during these moments just because it feels like it's just a death wish you know otherwise mm -hmm. for him so but it is what it is i'm sure it's pretty scary to be like locked up in you know mark's mind otherwise i imagine it's almost like sleep paralysis i mean you're just watching as everything is happening around you I and for someone who suffers through sleep paralysis, that's pretty fucking terrifying to think, so. Yeah. <laughs> Reaching the tomb, Layla and Steven scope out the tents outside. And while searching, Steven and Mark kind of argue over how to keep Layla safe in all this, which Mark begins to realize that Steven may be actually in love with Layla. I just love the fact that Mark is jealous of himself. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? There's also a moment here where Layla's leaving the tent and they kind of pan down to a bloody tool behind like a crate, I believe. Mm -hmm. 
And I thought it was trying to imply that Layla, like, took some people out or something. Uh, but I'm guessing that it was actually trying to signify that Harrow and, like, some of his, like, cult buddies were already there. Did you did you catch that moment? I caught it. I just, you know, especially since we know what happens in the upcoming. Like, yeah. I thought it just was alluding to those, you know, attacks. I guess. But like you said, we didn't know that at the time. So. Mm-hmm. Before entering the tomb, Layla and Steven share a moment where Layla actually nearly kisses Steven. But before things moved forward, Steven decided to let Layla know of Mark's true intentions to protect her from becoming Khonshu's next avatar. Layla, fed up with Mark trying to you know, make choices for her and lying to her, is conflicted by this information and then chooses to point out kind of the positive qualities in Steven by telling him how honest he is and how that makes him a better person, which leads to a somewhat odd awkward kiss between Steven and her. I wasn't sure if she was into it or not, but you know, I think that's just more to Steven's awkward character. I don't know if it was just me, but there was also something about like the face she made yeah. when he mentioned Kanshu making her his like avatar. Like I'm not saying we can't trust Layla, but I don't think we could trust Layla completely. Oh, okay. There's also another clue maybe later on in this episode that I'll talk about. Once in the tomb, the two discover multiple winding paths, which Steven figures out is in the shape of the Eye of Horus, which actually each part represents one of the six senses. Believing that this tomb is the final resting place of a pharaoh, due to the resources it would take to build a place like this, the two of them deduce that Ahmet's avatar was a pharaoh in the end, and that her location would be down the path of the tongue as the avatar is the voice of the god. With no sight of Arthur Harrow, Layla points out blood and bullet casings as they move forward throughout the tomb. Coming across a chamber with even more blood in it, Stephen begins thinking, you know, perhaps there is another direction they can head in that would be a little bit less dangerous. Stephen then goes searching around and finds another path on another level of the room that they had entered. But Layla is then approached by a mummified Hakka priest who enters the chamber dragging one of Harrow's men to the table to begin removing his organs. So in the comics, there is actually a connection between these priests and the elder god, Kathan, uh, who we know might be involved with everything that's going on with Wanda and the Darkhold. Mm. Uh, you know, he likes to dabble in chaos magic. So, I mean, I'm guessing that it's just more of a elaborate Easter egg, really, than anything major. And for that matter, Kathan... Uh, and Kanshu have a connection in the comics because they're both elder gods. Like, I don't think it's going to really come into play in this series at all or down the line in the MCU, but I do appreciate them, you know, adding these kind of layers, you know, with, you know, the MCU, you know, TV series. While Layla hides right next to this table, Steven starts making a loud creak that catches the attention of the mummy. But to save Steven, Layla then creates even more sound to prevent the priest from coming after Steven. Steven, while the mummy is confused by all these different sounds and different directions he's trying to go in, is able to actually sling down a table to squish the mummy, giving Layla time to escape. Man, this whole sequence was a straight horror film, and I loved it. It actually really made me want to see like a modern day straight horror mummy film um which god i don't even remember the last time we got something like that i mean i guess we did get that tom cruise film but that was a horror film for all the wrong reasons so and then that was trying to really play into like the action adventure side uh, of things right that was that was almost like uh the van helsing film right 
Pretty much. It was it was them trying to do that whole monster verse. It was awful. Oh god. Yeah, no, I've totally blacked that out. <laughs> no, give me like a straight like mummy horror film. Like it just feels like that material has such like untapped potential. You know, to make a great horror film. Now with Steven and Layla separated, Layla narrowly gets to the other side of this large chasm by scaling a wall and nearly falling to her death when another priest comes to attack her. But there is no peace in her victory as Arthur Harrow appears on the other side of the chasm. Arthur uses this moment to continue where he left off with, you know, the truth about Mark and what happened to her father. Harrow, after a speech about being able to read the scales and how it shows him one's truth, claims that Mark was one of the mercenaries that killed Layla's father and seemingly confirms suspicions that Layla has already had. Yeah, you definitely got the feeling that she deep down already knew this like information, right? Mm -hmm. So speaking of which, so I got a new theory here and it's a bit of a stretch, so bear with me. But we've been talking about this like third personality of Mark that they've been kind of hinting at. And we've just been assuming that it's the Jake Lockley personality. Mm -hmm. um, and it might be, it might just be a more vicious version of that, you know, character that we've seen in the comics. But as we know, like in the comic books, when it comes to Mark's origin story, it's a fellow mercenary Bushman who like betrays him and, you know, kills the rest of the group uh, and kills Marlena, AKA Layla's father. Uh, but what if there's a twist on the origin story here and it's actually Mark's third personality that killed Layla's father. And like I mean, Mark's personality is actually Bushman. That would be pretty cool. I don't know if they're gonna do that. I don't know if they're gonna make their hero also a villain, but it would be an awesome twist. I, I'd be down for it. There just seems to be something though that they're hiding. And I mean, we'll talk more about it at the end of the episode because there's another huge clue. Uh, but yeah, it just, it's obviously a more violent personality that it, it, it seems like Mark and Steven aren't necessarily aware of. Uh, and just the way that they retold the story here and the fact that we haven't even heard like, Bushman's name at all mm. just really got my imagination going and I just feel like there's some big twist about to happen or once again I could just be overthinking things which has been known to happen and you know during these MCU series so it's gonna be a happy ending oh I'm sure <laughs> before we move on here's a quick message from our sponsor Manscaped Ladies and gentlemen, can I get a round of applause? Today I'm excited to announce Manscaped's launched their Ultra Premium Collection. And believe it or not, it's for your not-so-private parts. I'm talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for your everyday man, and it covers you from head to toe literally. Manscaped is trusted below the waist, now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20AMAZING. Fellas, there's more places on your body that stink than your balls. And of course, no one wants to be that smelly guy during convention season. We all know how essential the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 is for the precise trim below the waist. Their advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts to your most delicate areas. But now you can enhance your perfect grooming routine with their ultra premium collection. This package includes Manscaped's premium deodorants. And no, that's not for your balls, it's for your stanky arm pits. 
This deodorant dries clear, is aluminum free, and smells like their signature scent. It also comes with hydrating body moisturizer. Have tattoos or issues with dry skin? It's designed to keep skin feeling clean, smooth, and smelling fresh. Also, it comes with body wash to lather you up with their infused aloe vera and sea salt shower gel. And they also throw in a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner to clean your scalp with an easy one step. Plus, they included a free gift, a three-pack set of lip balm that's made up of ingredients such as vitamin E, peppermint, and eucalyptus oil to keep those chappers feeling moist. Right there, that's four products plus a gift inside the Ultra Premium Collection. What a score. All of these products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, vegan-friendly, and dye-free. The best ingredients with zero compromise. You know, we would like to recommend using the products in this order. Well, Christian, the first step will be hopping in the shower and scrub-a-dub-dub -dub that body with the Manscaped Body Wash. Second, you gotta lather that hair up with the two-in-one shampoo conditioner to keep your noggin toggin'. Then you've gotta dry off and spray that hydrating body moisturizer to reinvigorate dry skin. Of course, you put on the Manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons. Pop that Manscaped lip balm on. No one is out here kissing chapped up lips. And you know, getting dressed after is of course optional, but you should wear one great scent all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get that ultra premium collection hot off the shelves. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. Manscaped.com. That's right, because the power of attraction is now in a bottle, thanks to Manscaped. Meanwhile, Stephen has found the lost tomb of Alexander the Great, who Stephen infers must have been the last avatar of Ahmet before Arthur Harrow. Stephen, after opening the sarcophagus, realizes that the statue of Ahmet must be inside the body itself and actually has to put his hand down the throat of Alexander the Great to retrieve it. Retrieving Ahmet's statue, Stephen and Mark are confronted by Layla, who speaks directly to Mark. Mark, while he claims to have been you know, there, says he was not the one to kill her father after Stephen once more gives Mark control over the body. Mark goes on to explain how his partner got greedy and ended up shooting everyone, including Mark himself, and that the only reason he lived was Khonshu. And if that hadn't broken Layla's heart enough, Mark admits that the reason he actually met up with her was out of guilt of the situation that he had been in, as he originally was going to meet her to explain what had happened to her father. See, I don't know, man. Something about the way he told that story. I, <laughs> I don't know. It, it sounded like he witnessed it, but I, I don't know. He might have thought he witnessed it, you know? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if we get, like, a flashback scene in the next episode of this event, you know, and there's a reveal of some kind. It just feels like a story that he would have been more open with Layla about. Like he wouldn't keep it hidden for this long. Um, and, and maybe maybe it's a case of like her father being involved and maybe her father turned on the group and that's why he's trying to protect her from the story. I don't know. I mean, I just feel like the story isn't as cut and dry as everyone's like, you know, retelling it. I mean, it probably isn't. There's probably a lot there, but hopefully they show something. There's only two episodes left. That's, so. that's true. This moment is interrupted when Arthur Harrow and his men draw near. Giving the statue of Amit to Layla, Mar stays behind to hold off Harrow. 
Harrow with guns surrounding Mark, you know, gives him the option to surrender over, you know, Amit and be spared. But Mark chooses otherwise, and Harrow himself actually picks up a gun and starts shooting Mark, causing him to fall backward into a small pool of water. Yeah, I was actually shocked by this scene. I was like, holy shit, they, they just fucking killed him. Because <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> it was a direct shot in the heart. You know, twice, right? So I did let out a little gas, but then I remembered, oh, there's still two episodes left. Yeah. <laughs> and the series is called Moon Knight, so. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what is this, your first rodeo kid? Come on. Get it together. After a strange moment where we see Mark falling through this pool of water onto a small beam of light, we are greeted with a B-movie version of Stephen Grant and his tomb raiding adventures before we pan out to see a kind of sterile psych ward filled with all the people and items of the last four episodes to show us, you know, that perhaps Mark has been making all of this up in his head all along. I mean, yeah, this was a total head trip pulled straight from Jeff Lamar's run on the Moon Knight books. Uh, that involves Ahmed, actually. Uh, there's tons of, like, callbacks throughout, you know, these scenes uh, from past episodes. And, I mean, like you said, all the different characters are, like, represented in some shape or form. I mean, I'm guessing this is all some kind of grand illusion with some kind of, like, sinister motives behind it. And I think that's made pretty clear quickly. Uh, but I would have loved just a couple episodes where you're not quite sure what's going on and you really question whether or not everything we witnessed previously was all just in Mark's mind. But I'll, I'll take this too. I mean, we went from basically an Indiana Jones movie to like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes. So <laughs> talk about tone shift. No, I trust me. I, I do wish it was longer than a limited series, but at the same time, I, I, they're doing well with what they have. No, I, I agree 100%. I mean, the amount of story and ground that they've managed to cover over the last, like, four episodes, you know, with Moon Knight is pretty impressive. And there's really never been a point where I felt like they're really, like, rushing things along, you know, and sacrificing story. All right, so before we move on, there's something in this scene that ties into what I was talking about with Layla and us not necessarily be able to, like, trust her. Uh, they're playing bingo and she like steals Mark's bingo card from him. Like we literally see her like stabbing him in the back here mm -hmm. and trying to keep like the bingo winnings for herself, you know? <laughs> so, uh, and she even admits it. So I just like everything in this scene, I feel like has meaning. So I wouldn't be surprised if the idea of her being the avatar for Kanshu isn't appealing to her, you know, in some way. That when push comes to shove, that she won't be willing to betray Mark, you know, to take on that role. So I, I, I could just be reading things into the clouds. I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, th there's a lot of speculation online, too, about clues that her family... Uh, namely, her father might be connected to this other character in the comics named the Scarlet Scarab, which I really don't know much about. Uh, just that he threw down with the invaders a couple times back in the day. Uh, but like, you know, since her and her father seem to be kind of like hybrid characters of the original characters from the Moon Knight book. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it definitely could be a possibility. Uh, but I'm not sure. But it, I mean, I would just keep an eye on her is all I'm saying. I mean, we often see this trope in a lot of like those Indiana Jones style films. Like, I mean, even uh, the Unch Uncharted film, 
did this exact like type of thing with you know the the double cross in the middle out of nowhere you know where they're not necessarily a bad person but they're in on it for themselves and for some way so i wouldn't be too surprised but i feel like i don't know i just i feel like they're they're either throwing that at you just to fuck with you or you know uh you know throw you off the scent of whatever bigger thing that they've got going on uh, and that could be true Mark, while sedated, meets up with his therapist, who, not so surprisingly, looks like Arthur Harrow, Kane and all. The therapist goes on to pick at Mark's concepts of reality as the sedatives slowly but surely wear off on him. As Mark begins to, you know, come more out of his drug-fueled stupor, he begins to remember Arthur shooting him. The therapist attempts to calm Mark down, but he only becomes more enraged by the moment running out of Arthur's office. My God, Ethan Hawke is even likable in this role. Uh, you know, he's just been fantastic this entire series. I won't keep on like you know harping on it and keeping praise on him, but my God, my hat is off to whoever the set designer was on this. I mean, it just felt like his entire office is like one giant puzzle. Like there's so much shit going on in mm -hmm. the background and subtle and not so subtle nods to like, you know, what happened in the previous episode. It was hard for me not to be distracted by everything that was going on in his office. No, it looked like a straight up escape room. No, and I'm sure that was by design. Mm -hmm. Here things start to get a little bit of like an inception-y as I would say, as Mark runs around this like warping medical facility and finds a sarcophagus once he goes hiding in one of the inpatient rooms. Opening it, he finds a terrified Steven, and for the first time we see Mark and Steven stand across from one another in pure shock and horror of the situation that they're in. Yeah, this was the moment where they really like let you off the hook and let you know that like, this is obviously not reality, mm. um, that this is someone manipulating Mark, um, some outside force at least. I mean, I just figured, you know, we're inside Mark's brain. As soon as we saw him like unlock Steven, I was like, okay, maybe we're just inside of Mark's brain and this is what it looks like for him. And that might still be the case, but I feel like there's some kind of outside like supernatural force you know, also manipulated him, like even Ahmed himself. The two of them pair up in hopes to escape and walk past a room with another sarcophagus, but choose to let it go without opening it. And since the last sarcophagus we saw had Stephen Grant in it, that personality, I'm guessing this sarcophagus like contained, the, you know, the personality we haven't seen yet of Mark's. Uh, and the way that it was like shaking and both of them looked at each other and chose to keep on moving, you know, it tells me that they're both pretty fucking terrified <laughs> of whatever's in there. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if this was Jake Lackley or something even more scary. As the two continue to go down the halls trying to avoid guards, they run into a hippo-headed Egyptian god named Toerit that scares the hell out of them with her simple greeting as the episode comes to a close. Talk about the perfect note to, like, end on for this episode. <laughs> I mean, it was just batshit crazy from start to finish. I mean, mm -hmm. I can't even begin to start to speculate what the hell's going on with the hippo god. So uh, I guess we'll have to just wait and find out till next episode. But all in all, I've got to say, this is probably my favorite episode so far of the series. Uh, and if you think about it, this is an episode that had no Moon Knight whatsoever in it oh yeah <laughs> didn't even think of it that way right i mean they really took us on like a psychological roller coaster though mm -hmm. uh and that's what i love about the moon knight character like it's not all about the super heroics it's about his like inner turmoil and his you know struggle with mental illness and how he perseveres 
you know, regard. That's what really makes the character interesting. No, yeah, with this episode, I felt like we got a lot more of what at least I was promised for this series, you know, just kind of seeing more of him, as you said, dealing with his mental illness. And I feel like that's definitely what will make this series more memorable in the end, rather than some of the few you know, jokes that we've been getting throughout these first few episodes. I feel like this was more just a memorable experience in this one specifically i feel like this was the best episode so far well make sure to join us next week as we break down my god the second to last episode of the series episode five (laughs) of moon knight all right christian you got a film review for us this week that's right i saw fantastic beasts and the secrets of dumbledore warning spoiler alert minor spoilers for the secrets of dumbledore ahead you have been warned and now our feature presentation This is the team that's going to take down the most dangerous wizard in the century. Who wouldn't like our chances? <laughs> oh! <laughs> no one can know everything. Not even you. What you're doing is madness. With or without you, I'll burn down their world. Albus Dumbledore signs Newt and his allies with a mission related to the rising power of Grindelwald. Fantastic Beasts and the Secrets of Dumbledore was directed by David Yates and stars Eddie Redmayne, Jude Law, Ezra Miller, and Mads Mikkelsen. The Fantastic Beasts franchise started off with this fun first film where I saw a lot of potential as far as them making this a five film project. But after Crimes of Grindelwald, you know, the second film in the franchise, I have to say I lost a lot of interest in further films. This third installment needed to like pique my interest if I were ever to continue investing time in this franchise. And while I didn't have a bad time with the film, it just was overall underwhelming for me. The Secrets of Dumbledore throws you back in on the precipice of Grindelwald's war on the Muggles. In this film, we explore the relationship of Grindelwald and Dumbledore a bit more, getting into more of, you know, Dumbledore's past as the film centers around his family and his connection to our big bad. Uh, Jude Law does a great job in the role and feels like a genuinely youthful portrayal of Albus. His journey and conflict with Grindelwald I felt was well handled until we got to the very end. Mads Mikkelsen as Grindelwald felt like a much more intense cult leader than what we had seen in previous films and I did quite enjoy his performance overall. Dan Fogler, I think that's how you pronounce his name, as Jacob continues to be a big highlight for me in these films. Even though he felt like he had a lot less to do this time around, Jacob's character always seems to shine whenever he's on screen, whereas a lot of the other characters just kind of were there this time around. Credence, this big focal point of the franchise up until now, felt more like an afterthought in the wake of Grindelwald and Dumbledore's drama. I don't know if the reaching controversies with Ezra Miller played into it at all, but storyline-wise, I felt the film did a disservice to the character when I look back at to how much you know was built up to this point. And I had the same feeling for Albus's brother, Abiforth, um, who plays a much bigger role in the final act of this film, but barely gets any lines beforehand to really get a better grasp of the character. Which just kind of leads me into my biggest issue with this film as I felt not enough time was put into each character. It's not that the group wasn't interesting at all, but there wasn't enough of any of Newt's team to get me invested in them. There are also new concepts to the wizarding world, at least for me, because I might not be aware of how everything is governed properly, as I just I was completely confused about the entire political race that is a central focus in this film 
because I, I didn't know that there were people that are above the ministry and all the other smaller forms of government that are in each country. At least that's what I think they were trying to become in this film. I don't know. I, it still confuses me to right now. And as far as the ending goes, without spoiling it, I felt like it didn't leave me with anything interesting to make me want more. I felt like it was missing one more big moment, maybe for Grindelwald, that would have made me more excited for the impending battles to come, but it just kind of wrapped itself up in a neat bow and ended instead. On top of its story, I wasn't all that enticed by its action. A lot of the fights lacked the intensity of the previous Harry Potter films, which I don't understand when I think about like how these are all adult witches and wizards, you know, masters of their crafts versus the school aged battles of the original franchise. Though nothing will probably ever surpass Dumbledore versus Voldemort in the Order of the Phoenix film, all the fights in this film just felt a bit too short. You know, the silent wisping of the spells just didn't cut it for me. But visually, the film is fine. Cinematography and effects are all on par with the rest of the franchise, and getting new interesting locations did give them a lot of new cool scenery to play with. But like I said at the start, I didn't have a bad time with this film. I just don't think it's worth clamoring for at this point. Something I'd almost just wait for it being on like TV or streaming services. And because of that, and because of many aspects leaving me underwhelmed, I will be giving Secrets of Dumbledore a C+. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This week in gaming, Volition gave us a glimpse of the Saints Row customization, and boy does that look like the developer's main focus for this entire release, as so far every little aspect seems to be customizable. In the 30 minute breakdown, they discussed it all from physical appearance of yourself to your items, cars, and gang. And I won't lie, the level of customization was impressive. It felt like a you know WWE game with how much you can change, and the concept of an asymmetrical face should make for a lot of insane choices. While watching the presentation, this really felt like a spiritual successor to Saints Row 2, and more of what I was expecting Saints Row the Third to kind of embody. But however, having spent many years away from the franchise at this point, I can't say I'm as much of a fan of the cartoonish style that the game presents. While its stylized look is on point with the franchise as a whole, it's a bit underwhelming to me on the graphical side. And with that, you would think they would put a lot more into the gameplay and making it as fun as possible. Which while we're seeing that with customization, I don't think we're seeing that with the movement of people and vehicles in this world. It all just kind of looks a bit stiff as far as motion goes. And I can look past graphics if a game feels good to play, but I feel like this reboot might not hit the mark in comparison to a lot of games that are coming out right now that all excel in the free range of motion and how collisions work in gaming nowadays. And also as far as customization goes, I love having a ton of options, but if the game and its story aren't all that replayable, I won't be you know, doing multiple runs just to see how crazy all these options can be. For me personally, while the game does look fun to play, I just haven't been sold on any of it yet. It's the same vibe I get from a lot of those Ubisoft titles that come out, where I can see myself playing it for fun, but probably not finishing it or feeling the need to stick with it for the long haul. But I'd love to know what you guys think of it, so make sure to sound off on our social media, that's at Amazing Nerd Show or at Amazing Nerd Live, and tell us what you thought of all the customization that's going to be in this game. And while you're at it, head on over to Twitch and follow us there to catch all of our live gameplay streams as we play a variety of games and also run our own fantasy wrestling show called PCW that is on the verge of becoming even bigger very soon. Now, with all that said, let's talk some AEW. No, 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 no. This is about the undisputed elite. Ah! 
and Bullet Club. Because it's still our era. All right, on this past week's Dynamite, we had Tony Khan's huge announcement, which was that the Forbidden Door has burst wide open, and we're going to be getting our first AEW New Japan co-pay-per-view called, big surprise here, Forbidden Door, <laughs> which is going to take place at the United Center in Chicago, June 26th. I'm already sorry to, like, figure out if i can go to that i mean we do live in <laughs> chicago so it'd be kind of ridiculous if we didn't uh-huh. go although i feel like tickets are going to go pretty fast so speaking of which tickets for the show do go on sale friday may 6th at 11 a.m eastern time uh 10 a.m central the event will air on traditional pay-per-view and will also be on bleacher report and fight tv during the announcement tony was joined by the president of new japan but then we're interrupted by adam cole who f- Basically made the announcement for them, thank God, because, you know, I can't handle Tony, you know, during these announcements. <laughs> I'll be honest. Uh-huh. It's just not his bag, which is fine, you know. <laughs> he's just got so much energy. It's almost like manic. And I don't know. He's just all over the place. So um, I-, I think it was the right call to have Adam, like, actually do the announcement. I mean, he said thank you three times as he came out. <laughs> he just has such weird, awkward energy. That it, you know, I like, I understand why he's not an on camera personality. Uh, so let's just leave yes. it at that. Uh, he also does this horrible voice too, which isn't his like natural speaking voice, which drives just drives me crazy. No. <laughs> but anyway, uh, let's stop nitpicking on Tony. Poor Tony. <laughs> During Adam Cole's portion of the announcement, he summoned uh, Jay White to come out, and he delivered more details about the event. Uh, he also basically put both both rosters on notice and said that that this event was all about the undisputed elite and the Bullet Club, of course, uh, and that it's still their error, which has been kind of his tagline on New Japan Strong and on Impact. So, yeah, but I'm um, Christian. What did you think of the announcement? Did you feel like it was huge news? Did it live up to the hype? I mean, at first I was a little bit like, okay, is it going to be a New Japan Strong event or are we going to get actually like, you know, people like Naito and Okada coming over? Now, seeing the president come out was like, okay, maybe this is going to be a bigger deal. So it's it's huge enough where I'm I'm excited to see matchups and wrestling like that. I don't know if I don't know if I needed it on the like dynamite actual episode. It could have been something that they did online as an announcement. No, I get what you're saying. Uh, when we heard rumors of this super show happening and that being the big announcement this past week, I was just kind of, I don't know, a little disappointed, honestly, just because I feel like we've been getting that with New Japan strong. I mean, this past weekend, we had the Windy City Riot with Moxley versus Osprey, and there was a few other like you know AEW uh, matches versus like New Japan guys on that card. And I mean, we've mm-hmm. seen that kind of throughout like the pandemic with New Japan Strong, honestly, with a lot of like crossovers happening. So I was like, is that really like? warranting a huge announcement another crossover show also i was kind of hoping that it would be an announcement of a streaming service which i think will be a bigger deal long term for AEW's future uh but with that being said once they made the announcement on dynamite i think they kind of won me over 
because it, it you know i think especially seeing like new japan's president out there it feels like it's gonna be on a bigger scope hopefully and i'm just kind of assuming <laughs> uh where we're gonna actually see and i could be wrong more new japan talent coming over for the pay-per-view like with like you know perhaps like okada and you know tanahashi and you know maybe uh naito mm. so i mean that knock on wood that's what i feel like is going to happen just with how grand they made the announcements because if aw has access to new japan's full roster i mean the amount of dream matches that are possible is just limitless I mean, I would be even excited to see just, you know, Kota Ibushi looking across the arena at Omega. They don't even have to be in a match. Yeah, hopefully you know? Omega's back in time. Yes. You know, because he's still, you know, on the injury list. Like, I'm sure we're going to get a bunch of, like, you know, tag matches, which is pretty standard in both New Japan and AEW at this point. Mm -hmm. Like, I wouldn't doubt if we get some kind of, like, you know, AEW chaos and New Japan chaos, like, teaming up against, like, you know, Suzuki Gun, and you could feature Lance Archer on the team. But I'm also hoping that we get a nice, healthy handful of dream matches. Uh, with that being said, Christian, what are some of the dream matches you'd like to see on this card? I mean, I'd like to see Hiromu Takahashi versus Darby Allen. I think that would be fantastic. That is literally the first match I have on my list. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> could, could you imagine like the damage they would do to each other, though? Like, it, no, it almost one of feels, them would walk out injured. <laughs> it almost feels too dangerous to book. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be terrified the entire match. So, uh, but no, that, that, that would just be the perfect meshing of styles. I feel like I think a match that's pretty much guaranteed, especially after the, after the events of uh, Windy City Riot is that Moxley's probably going to face off against Tanahashi. Mm -hmm. I know Moxley's supposed to be calling out Tanahashi in Washington, I believe. He said, so I'm sure the match will probably get made there and there'll be some kind of like confrontation. Now, here's a question. If Omega's healthy, who do you want to see him going up against? And this is a big if because we know he's got a lot of like elements that he needs to like heal up from. So they were talking about him coming back early summer, but this is very early summer. I don't know, because I feel like with the storyline that they've been putting out there, it could potentially be, you know, that Bullet Club versus the Elite, you know, match that they've been, you know, wanting to do for a while, you know, with uh, with Jay White's claiming that he's like running everything. Maybe it could even, you know, be Jay White with the Undisputed Era going up against the Elite in some form or fashion. So that would be like a six man tag or is that that's an eight man tag? guess it would be an eight man yeah if you have adam cole in the match unless adam cole's fighting someone else yeah yeah because you, you'd have whites you have i mean you could have the good brothers also because mm. the good brothers are now part of bullet club again that happened yeah. on impact so you could have white and the good brothers maybe against kenny and uh the young bucks uh if you wanted to go that route uh, but I don't know. I mean, they're, they're going to have to do some serious storytelling in the meantime on, you know, the, the actual AEW show. So, like, are you going to be running that storyline and at the same time booking for your pay-per-view, which is happening at the end of May? So it'll, it'll be interesting how they juggle that. Uh, but, I mean, they could pull it off. Uh, 
they just need to have Jay White actually like there, you know, live mm. for a couple of weeks at least. A match I definitely want to see is Zack Saber Jr. versus uh, Brian Danielson, and that's that's been a match that Brian Danielson's been talking about in interviews for a while. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if they don't do it here, I could see them at least teasing it for, like, their next event, which I'm sure, like, this could possibly turn into an annual thing, knock on wood, as long as it's successful. Uh, A fun one would be, like, Cobb versus uh, Keith Lee. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That'd be fantastic. Just two powerhouses going Uh at it. (laughs) Or you could do Cobb versus Hobbs. Yes. You know, well. literally powerhouse hops, right? <laughs> Going up against, you know, New Japan's powerhouse. Uh, yeah, I'd love that. Uh, I, did Kingston challenge Ishii uh, during the Winning City Riot? I know he challenged someone, right? Yes, he did, which would be an amazing match between those two brawlers. Yeah, but I, I don't know if that's happening at an earlier show or if they're going to hold off to this event. Gotcha. So I feel like that was announced maybe for the Washington show, but I could be wrong. I mean, if so, who would you put Kingston up against? Do you have, like, maybe him and, like, Naito? That would be fun. I was thinking more, like, maybe uh, Proud and Powerful with Eddie Kingston going up against the Grills of Destiny or something like that. I was actually booking a G.O.D. versus FTR. Mm. I think that could be a fun match. Mm-hmm. What about for Adam Cole? Who do you put Adam Cole against? Here's a tricky one. What about Adam Page? Like... He might still be the champion at this point, but it looks like he's going to be going up against Punk before this uh, at the pay-per-view. Do you pull the trigger and do a champion versus champion match against, like, Okada if he does have the belt? Or do you have him go up against, like, Osprey or Shingo? Because it's got to be a featured match. Yeah, I w- I'd probably pick uh, Takagi over Osprey. I feel like we've seen Hangman versus Osprey in New Japan. Oh, no. I'm sure at some point. But this mm. is a very different version of Osprey, I feel yes. like. <laughs> Speaking of Osprey, a dream match that's been talked about on the internet for a long time, and I think both guys have actually talked about it, is Osprey versus Punk. That'd be good, but if Punk's champion, I want him to go up against Okada. I think that'd be That's that's a lot of politics you gotta deal with though, if you do <laughs> champion versus champion. So like who goes over? And then you're at the United Center. So like, <laughs> I mean, last be a time fantastic match. it would be great <laughs> and it would be a dream match scenario, but like, I don't know. Like, I don't see, I feel like punk would have to go over and that's just, I don't know if new Japan would be okay with that. So mm. who knows? I mean, they've had their champion lose during G ones before, so maybe they'd be okay. It's, a, it's definitely going to be a non-title match. So maybe if they're guaranteed that, you know, Punk or whoever the champion is, is, you know, going to do the job at some point for them and return the favor, then maybe they're okay with it. That's Uh, what I was going to say. But I don't see Punk losing twice in a row at the United (laughs) Center. So, uh, but yeah, I'd love to see Punk versus Okada. Um, I'd love to see Punk versus Osprey for that matter. So... I mean, there's just a plethora of like like dream matchups that we could have coming from this event. So um, I think a lot of how this card is going to shape up is going to revolve around whether or not Kenny Omega is healthy, mm-hmm. you know, because that's definitely going to change a few matchups around if he can't perform on the show. Um you know, I mean, regardless, I feel like they need to probably set up something between him and like Coda. Uh, you know, somewhere down the line. I don't think they're going to have enough time to build it up properly for this event. But 
you know, you'd like to at least see like maybe a team up here or just like, you know, maybe Coda comes out and makes a save and then challenges, you know, Kenny Omega or vice versa. You know, you save Kenny as a surprise uh, and then you have some kind of face off happen. I mean, there's just a, a litany of different scenarios mm-hmm. that you could really, you know, go with to just, you know, just make the United Center and like. AEW fans and New Japan fans lose their fucking minds. So, um, and really just like, you know, lay, you know, seeds for the future. The forbidden door is wide open and it's exciting time. Holy shit. You know what? <laughs> what about fucking Samoa Joe versus Shingo? Oh, that'd be a great match. Or Cobb for that matter. I feel, I still, I feel like the different styles for uh, Takagi would be great with Samoa Joe. I don't know, man. I, either way, I'll be happy. Honestly, uh, I mean, there's just so many different directions they can go in. I mean, Jesus. I mean, it's it's actually going to be a nightmare to book this thing. Honestly, uh-huh. <laughs> you you hope that they know already that there's going to be multiple events in the future, so they don't have to worry about like you know missing an opportunity here and having to like you know book all the dream matches at once. Because I mean, we haven't like mentioned Jericho. You know, like I could see like Jericho going against like Suzuki. You know, you could have like the pain maker against, you know, the crazy old bastard. Mm-hmm. That could be fun. I mean, like with the amount of aerial guys in AEW right now, you would the, the list of dream matches with Will Ospreay is through the roof. I mean, you got Dante Martin and more. Oh, my God. Imagine that. Like, they wouldn't even touch the ground half the match. <laughs> I know Osprey doesn't necessarily wrestle that style that much anymore, but the guy can still fucking fly, so... Oh, absolutely. Oh, God. That would be amazing. Um, I mean, shit, what about MJF? Oh, man. <laughs> MJF versus Naito would be oh, the best match God. ever. Yes. <laughs> I would love that. That'd be fantastic. Just those two, like, attitudes clashing uh-huh. up against each other, those personalities, you know, standing across the ring from each other. That I mean, th- that alone is worth the price of admission. Exactly. It's the type of matches you can only see on my wrestling show, PCW. Oh, my God. You <laughs> son of a bitch. Your cheap plugs. <laughs> but, I mean, we could fantasy book this all night. Uh, and I'm sure the card is going to be slowly taking shape over the next, you know, couple months. So uh, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see what Tony Khan, you know, has in store for us. But with that being said, if they do have some kind of like long term agreement in place for multiple pay-per-view events, I could definitely see them not like blowing their wad all at once here at the show you know, at this show and, you know, kind of like, you know, giving us a handful of those standard like New Japan, you know, multi-man matches and then like maybe one or two like dream matches and then like just hold off, you know, for, you know, the next event and just kind of tease things, Uh, which I wouldn't be mad at either as long as we know for sure that, you know, that agreement's in place. But the fact that like AEW is now featured on, you know, New Japan World, you know, you get Dynamite and Rampage every week tells me that they definitely have some kind of long term agreement worked out. So I feel like it's pretty safe to say that this probably isn't just a one off. It'd be interesting to see if that deal was possible to go both ways. Like if AW got onto a streaming you know, 
platform they can bring New Japan with them. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely thinking the same thing, but I think the concern would be is if they get onto a streaming service in the States, like, you know, on like an HBO Max or something mm-hmm. like that, will that cut into their subscriptions yeah, their that profits. they get, you know, for New Japan World then? You know, I mean, maybe it's a case of you just getting like limited a limited amount of shows, like maybe just like their bigger events or something like mm-hmm. that. But I mean, just the fact that AEW is providing so much content for them now on their streaming service, you got to think that AEW is going to get something in return. And who knows, maybe this pay-per-view is part of the deal. Now, do you think New Japan brings over stardom? So the AEW's women's roster has something to do uh, during this pay-per-view? Because <laughs> otherwise, you know, they're kind of like shit out of luck. I don't know, because, yeah, uh- that would be a great plan, at least, because, I mean, you have so many talented women on the stardom roster. All those Josie wrestlers would be perfect to work with the likes of, like, Britt Baker and more. Yeah, I mean, it, right, because it, it, stardom is owned by New Japan, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, and they, they, I know they started to, like, feature some of their matches during Wrestle Kingdom, I think at least on the pre-show. So, I mean, why not, you know, bring a handful of them over here to, you know, put them on the card, you know, for the super show? It, it seems to only make sense. Well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, Christian, join us next week as we talk episode 5 of Moon Knight, and we'll also have a review for Robert Eggers' The Northman. Plus, we'll be talking the latest in wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Foolish of you to come here tonight, Tom. The orders are on their way. By which time I shall be gone. And you shall be dead. <laughs>